I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be stage-worthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Alicia Richardson is an actor and writer based out of Toronto, a maker of fine soups, a world traveler who desperately wants to have an Italian greyhound one day. Amaka Ume is an award-winning theatre performer of Nigerian descent who enjoys puns, sweets, and adventures. They both joined me to talk about Alicia's play Sweeter, which is being produced by Cahoots Theatre in association with Rosie Theatre from December 2nd to 17th at Native Earth's Aki Studio in Toronto. Here's our conversation. Which of you? would like to give me the elevator pitch for what is sweeter. I, I, I will volunteer as tribute. <laughs> so Sweeter is a theater for young audiences play geared towards third grade and up. Our bullseye would be between the ages of seven to nine because our protagonist is a little girl who is seven years old. So typically in a young adult story, the protagonist is um, the target age of who we want to really come and see the show. So Sweeter is the story of a magical talking mango tree and her best friend, who is a seven-year-old little black girl. And it is set in the year 1887 in the town of Eatonville, Florida. And the two of them learn how to grow together. That is a delightful description. Thank you. <laughs> right on. Um, okay. So what is what was the inspiration uh, for this show? So Sweeter was what began as an experiment. I was in Obsidian Theater Company's playwriting unit. And because I was very obsessed and continue to be with Susan Laurie Parks, I did an exercise of seven plays in seven days based off of her work doing 365. So if you don't know, Susan Laurie Parks is a prolific playwright, a Black woman in the United States who has gotten the MacArthur Genius Grant, who is, you know, uh, trailblazed. Uh, she walked so that I could run, essentially. So I did this exercise thinking, what what would come out of writing a single, you know, short play and by play it's just defined as something that has a beginning middle and end so what would happen during these seven plays in seven days was that the majority of what i cooked up became the basis of a play that i wrote with obsidian called articulation and then this play was this wacky magical realism thing that did not fit one of these things is not like the other one it didn't fit <laughs> And even my dramaturg at that time, Mel Haig, who now is the AD of Factory, um, she was the playwright unit uh, coordinator. She said, this one just doesn't feel the same. Because the other ones took place in the present day. And like, it, it was just weird. Like, this is in the past. And this is so wacky and um, so surreal. Like, it's it's not of this world. And I was trying to 
articulate the experience of inhabiting a Black body in spaces that were comical, farcical, sometimes inhospitable. And she, Mel, gave me this prompt to, you know, really think outside the box, really go for it. And this doesn't even have to make sense in, in, in the realm of human experience. You know, it can be a cloud or a dog. And um, so I thought of a, a talking mango tree because I feel like Black womanhood can be, um, what's the word, exemplified? can be represented by a tree. I feel like we are a very giving and loving and generous group of folks. Uh, I think what we have is sweet and uh, juicy. And uh, why wouldn't you? You know, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yes. So we have something that's so delicious and so tasty and so colorful and so vibrant. Um, so that's the positives. But on the flip side of that, I feel like we've been very exploited. And I think that that's something that is true of a lot of crops, is true of a lot of of our environment, is that it gets exploited. So to be a Black woman in our society feels like we are loved for what we make, whether that's our food, our hair, our, our music, our dance, our fashion, like people eat it up. Um, but then when it comes to our very persons, that's not as loved as what we make. So our product can be something that people ravenously devour and love and adore and uplift. But our person is something that can be exploited and in some cases destroyed. So I wanted to speak to that really bizarre dichotomy of like feeling like blackness is so loved, but Black folks are not always. And uh, so thus the play was born. Now, you mentioned uh, this play was was very much like the other plays that you were writing in this in this process. Did you, when you were starting to write those plays, were you thinking of a theme and this one just sort of like went its own way? Um, is is that what happened where this one sort of came out so differently? Yes. Well, the play that I had written was, is, I should say present tense, is called Articulation. And it's designed as, it's just a meditation on what it feels like to be Black um, in in this society, in North America. So I'm originally from the States. I'm from Florida. And, you know, growing up in the States, it's like the, uh, it's like the more violent cousin of Canada. <laughs> There's a lot of similarities. It's just more scary. Um, so I was trying to articulate what that experience was. So I I meditated on it in terms of the five senses. So how does it influence our perspectives? How does it influence the way that we uh, speak? There's all these different, like our tastes are, you know. So there's all these different ways that I was using as a vehicle to discuss uh, blackness and black folk and how we, how we negotiate space. Um, so this, this experiment on day seven was, um, I think I asked myself, how would I explain being black and especially being a black woman? How would I explain that to a child? How would I, how would I use metaphor? How would I simplify it? to a child that might not understand commodification, color hierarchies, microaggressions, like a, a child of seven wouldn't be able to wrap their brain around that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to come back to that for sure. Um, but Amaka, you are the uh, the assistant director on this, yeah. on this show. How did you come to this show? And what was your reaction to, to, to Sweeter when you first uh, uh, read it or, or heard about it? Yeah, I was invited to take on this assistant director role by the director, Tanisha Tate. Um, very, very happy to receive this email out of the blue one day. I just read it over and over and like every line was a yes for me. So, I mean, 
I was shocked and and overwhelmed with gratitude. Uh, and I've I had known Alicia for a couple of years uh, before before this, and um, just always admired and been inspired by her generosity, her creativity, um, and just the way that she like opens up worlds for people. Um, I think we, we met just before the pandemic, um, and then stayed in touch throughout with our, with our online gatherings, um, of black women, shout out the wine yell them. <laughs> Big up the wine yells. Yeah. Um, and so I just couldn't believe that, you know, sometimes, and this will happen in, in this industry where, you know, opportunities will come along that for one reason or another can't be accepted or, you know, just don't work out, but everything just like all of the pieces were just in place. So perfectly. And I happily said, absolutely. Um, and then reading sweeter. Yeah. I remember this like very vividly taking myself on a, on a date to the Balzacs in Stratford and sitting there with the play with my notebook being like, okay, let me, let me take this in for a moment. And just, just the biggest smile on my face. Like I just wrote so many notes and, and, you know, details about my impressions. And it's very, uh, on the, on the, on the page, it's very fully realized. Like, like they could really characters and action and the, um, progression like it just lifted off i could see them see the characters like you know moving around in my imagination and um yeah it, it really impressed me and i knew that it would but uh it really impressed me like the fact what alicia has spoken to of the multiple layers on which it resonates it's so darling like i think that any theater for young audiences has to appeal to the adults too because the children are not going to bring themselves to the theater <laughs> you know that we're not there yet anyway we don't have the the droid guardians who will <laughs> watch it over them while they're sitting in the in the seats and i think you know there is a child inside each of us we we all at least have that in common you know we were we were all children once and i think part of living a fulfilled adult life is tending to that young mind inside of us and uh, I think this does that really well it like delights the sort of the, the more innocent parts of our sensibility and it challenges um, our uh, what's the word our our sense of authority now you know as adults our authority over the world that we inhabit, the world we want to leave behind for generations that are coming. And, um, uh, yeah. And I wept, like, I don't mean to say, I don't really like to do this, you know, um, to be like when someone hasn't seen a thing or read a thing or whatever, actually a, a pal of mine was talking about this recently, like, if someone's like, oh, you're going to love it, <laughs> then you have to sit there and like wait to love it or like will yourself to love it. So, you know, I don't want to, you know, what's it called? Prescribe anybody's reaction, but it rocked my world. I was, I was sitting there at the end of the play, just, just really emotional at the, the climax of, of the narrative. And, um, I don't want to give too much away, but. Uh, yeah, the, the ending really is, is tied together so neatly, um, invites, like, I really like the invitation of like, okay, what's, what's next? The, the what's next feels very clearly actionable. Like, okay, next step forward is going to be this. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's it. Yeah. Now, there's something you, you mentioned about, about when, you know, the, you, you sort of say to somebody, you know, you're going to love this thing. Um, you know, 
I get that all the time. People are like, you're going to love this. I always, I find myself not like almost refusing to watch the <laughs> yeah. thing for a while. I'll come to it. I, I'll come to it later, but there's something about the pressure of you're going to love this where I don't know if I'm, if, what if I don't, what if I don't, you know, it's yeah. just a huge thing. Um, now, uh, uh, Tanisha is uh, a brilliant director and I think that she runs mm-hmm. a very, uh, compassionate, warm, uh, room. Um, mm-hmm. as far as like putting this show together from, from the cast to the, to all of the people involved in it with it, what, Amaka, as, as a, as a, as a, as a, an assistant director, um, how do you complement the room that, uh, Tanisha is running? That's a very good question. This is my debut directorial uh endeavor and um the majority of my role is coordinating movement um i i consider movement my my first language it's one of my favorite ways i think i think i call it my favorite way to express myself um uh and and i think language is a thing of the body so uh I was I was Im- immediately like I was so thankful to have that anchor, that place where I know okay this is what I'm. Are you hearing that weird buzzing? I I am hearing that, um, and I don't know if it's coming from you, but uh, we'll press on through, and I will try to clean that okay. up later. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So I know what I know very clearly what the the thrust of my role is and and having worth, worked with Tanisha before um was just very excited to sit beside her and soak up you know everything about her process and her approach um but it is difficult like I knew that it would be um but to to be on the side of the table that kind of is responsible for the the bird's eye view of it all and where where it's a, where an audience for the performers to practice with um but we're also the influencer of what the audience will be receiving um it's a lot i i definitely spent the first like week of rehearsal kind of like in wide-eyed uh (laughs) and silence (laughs) but um yeah like tanisha has put together a fantastic cohort of people who um are just open um and i think that more than ever i'm i'm aware of the fact that making art making any type of creation to share with the world is a very vulnerable thing to do and as actors like it's done with the voice and the body like you really don't you can't rely on anything but your presence um and your intention and um so it brings to mind a new appreciation for the craft that I'm most familiar with. And then just, you know, listening to the conversation, sitting in on conversations, feed all of the different aspects of the production team. Um, it's like, we could run the world. Like, I feel like we should get theater makers into, you know, policy, into government because we talk about what we need and we ask if it can be done and if it can't be realized what are the alternatives um we we find that stage management is constantly taking notes on like okay this is what this actor needs for now and this is how much space we need over here and and so we're in constant network you know just communicating about this world that we're inhabiting that we're trying to build and share with other people um so yeah i'm i'm definitely i knew that i would learn a lot but i'm learning (laughs) my brain is like massaged and steeped and marinating and leaking and oozing in the best most delightful way awesome awesome um now you mentioned this is your first your first time directing or yeah. in a directorial uh, 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 role. Um, yeah. Was this something you thought of for yourself, or did uh, did Tanisha blindside you with this? <laughs> um, a little bit of both. I 
I don't necessarily enjoy telling people what to do, but I will say I'm kind of starting to get the hang of it. I think I might like it in the future. Um, yeah, I, I did imagine that I would inhabit a more, uh, directorial or, or inhabit the more production-y side of things. But I thought that it would most likely be um, movement-related and um, and kind of dance forward. So this is like the best of both worlds. I get to try my hand at that. I mean, I've put my movement on other people before, but never for um, never for theater. And um, and and yeah, like I get to I get a little bit of an insight into the directorial aspect of things, which. Um, I'm also, I'm also learning to enjoy. I don't believe that I am ready. Like I will be ready to direct anything myself after this, but I'm definitely down to like shadow more directors whose work I enjoy. Um, and, and honestly, like I, I, I could be happy assistant directing from, from here on out, to be honest. But, um, yeah, definitely having the, having the mind for like, bodies in space and how to shape uh the picture uh i i'm i'm very into that and for a moment i thought okay so did i pick the wrong thing like should i have been an actor should i have gone and been a dancer instead but um a very good friend of mine was like you can do whatever you want <laughs> it's like praise be you know i'm grateful to have a life that awards me these freedoms and uh, and a community of people who are willing to allow me um, or invite me to try my hand at them so yeah yeah you know back when i was in theater school in the ancient days the 90s um they uh when i was in theater school they basically told us only do one thing if you could do like don't if you could be if you're if you're a stage combat person don't do that only be an actor only be an actor and that was like i mean i guess it was it worked at the time but it it was so short sighted in in the idea that like we should be able to be all of the things that that we are, um, all of the things that all of the passions that we have and everything else. It should be things that we can and and should embrace because it makes us uh, fuller performers, fuller uh, uh, artists. Um. So it, it this this show that started as a a, a short thing that you wrote and and became more what alicia what's the writing process being to to take it from that little thing to this this larger play that has like you know actors and and and, and a whole like staff behind it um what what was the process of writing it and getting it to this point wow so i i'm so glad you asked that because it it came about in a very organic way and uh, it was a long time coming. So I originally wrote, wrote, I wrote the first scene, 11 pages worth in 2015. So that's when I began working on this piece. And it took me until now to get it made. When I first developed my first draft, I was in the Cahoots Theater Hot House Creation Unit. And under the tutelage and dramaturgy of Marjorie Chan, shout outs, who now runs TPM. Um, And I remembered feeling, you know, a bit overwhelmed and a bit stuck in a lot of moments. I myself, I've been an actor since I was 11, since I was yeha. I've been out here. Um, So there was never any shortage of an understanding of plot. I knew that there needed to be a beginning, middle, end. I knew that I had to cultivate these things. Um, I read a little bit about story structure and all these things. Um, so I did my own research about that. And I just compared side by side, like reading plays and trying to understand different plot, different story beats and how they work. One of the best things that happened to me in that development process, Marjorie Chan, who did not know me and I was encouraged by Mel Haig at Obsidian. She's like, you should submit for Cahoots Hot House. And um, Marjorie was so busy at the time that she didn't have time to read the email that had the attachment in it. So we had set up a, a meeting for me to go to Cahoots. 
And she's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so sorry. I've been so, you know, swamped. And so I had the pages in my hand. And then she's like, I'd like to read it now. And I'm like, oh, so I sat across from her and watched her read my work in real time. Sheesh. Talk about hot house. <laughs> and when she finished the final page, she closed it and said, I'd love to have you. And I was, I was overjoyed. I was, I was like, what, should we talk more about it? I mean, I was like, I've never, well, I need it. I'd love to have you. And so she just took that chance on me and we were in one of our hothouse sprints. So something that they do is that there will be like a week long uh, sprint where all of the writers that are developing something we're invited to just show up at cahoots and, you know, plug in your laptop. And then, you know, we each have our coffee or matcha for myself. Um, and then we just, you know, we grind. We're just there plugging away. And I remember talking to her about trying to flesh it out and develop it. And I wrote it out of sequence. I'm, I'm the type of writer that writes out of sequence. I might write the end as the first scene. I might write the middle. I don't really know why. And she said, just close your eyes and imagine the plot and just try to picture the images of the piece. Don't worry about the dialogue. Don't worry about stage directions or none of that. Just close your eyes and envision what you see. And so I wrote them down as almost like little tableaus. And I didn't know what any of them meant. I just knew at some point, this one image is going to be created. And so then I, I put them in a sequence. And I said, I believe this feels like it's a climactic moment. It felt very theatrical. I think this should go towards the end. This image feels uh, more relaxed, more casual. I think this should go towards the beginning. So it was kind of a, uh, a backwards way of doing it, where I know some writers do all of the story beats first, and then they flesh them out. I did the images first and then I attached the story to those images and then I fleshed it out. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? I mean, that's, that's what really worked for me. And each character is based off of somebody I know. Like I literally hear the person's voice in my head. So that's how I create very distinct character voices that each, each individual character in my brain, I'm like, how would this person say it? So one of the characters is inspired by my dear Uncle Ralph. And um, I know exactly how Uncle Ralph would say that. And so Uncle Ralph is a character, very big character in this play. And um, I can't wait for my family to see it and go. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's exciting for them and for you. Um, uh, before I get into uh, a little later on, I want to talk about both of your theater origin stories, because Alicia, you mentioned about how you've been doing it forever and all this sort of thing. But the way that you've described this play is, um, I think it's really it's really important um, for uh, not just young children of color, young black children, but for your all children. Um, and I think this because, uh, you know, my, when I was, growing up uh, my brother my brother and my sister were both adopted and uh my uh brother was uh, is a black uh, a black child he's a black man it was a black child and my sister was uh, was a was a mixed race uh a child as well and my parents did their best as white parents trying to raise black children to understand their blackness but of course they were white parents and couldn't do that um, they didn't know the right things to talk about. They did their best. They tried to research, but we didn't have the internet. It was the 70s. Um, so we, did, we were doing our best. Um, and it's the kind of thing that I wish that we had had uh, for both my brother and my sister um, to see their blackness on the stage and to see their, um, their uh, just, just themselves on the stage and to be able to learn how to talk about blackness in a way that we couldn't give them because we were, we were a white family. Um, 
I think I think the the play is 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 really important just because of that. Thank you. Absolutely, I agree. And I mean, thankful for the internet that we have now. Um, all of this access to a wide range of stories and to a network um, that uh, that helps us to imagine, you know, that we're not alone in the world. When when it may feel like we are, uh, but yeah, I I really think like this is important. I was thinking today about the uh, it come it comes to me a lot like the, these these voices um, that were lost or that are lost. Uh, yeah, like stories that we don't like. I was trying to remember a story that my father told me when I was, you know, a, a child. This was like one of his go-tos. And he would, it, it would always bring me so much delight. And um, I, re- I realized like how formative, how important it is to, to have like our story, our lore, whatever, th- whatever it may be. Um, you know, that is specific and mystical and um, acknowledges because a lot of the time these stories will will have a, a, a worldview that isn't, you know, kind of the the Western or <laughs> individualistic like uh, me, me, me uh, kind of thrust. Um, but how enriching it is to be nourished with like myth that belongs to us, you know, you know. I'm snapping for those of you who do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just listening. Then I'm out. I'm out here. Yeah, because we can. We absolutely can be anything and do anything and. We're, we are infinite, 100%. I believe that so strongly. And and we have our own, like, special brand of, of magic that I think is important to um, celebrate and nurture. So, yeah, what you're saying about wishing that your siblings had had something like this earlier on, I I totally resonate. I, I totally recognize absolutely the importance of that. And, and I know for a fact, like that's part of, that's a big part of why Alicia wrote it mm. to make it available yeah. so that we don't have to, we don't have to say that anymore. We don't have that excuse anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's written specifically about black folks and, and our experience. So yeah, we're out here. Yeah. We argue words and stuff. <laughs> you know, it's it's because I think one of the other detriments is the fact that, you know, my brother and I, uh, we were in school in the 70s where we were just talking white stuff, right? Yeah. There was, we weren't, we didn't talk about, about anything, about black people, people of color. It was just the white stories all the time. And uh, that's, I think, a product of that particular uh, era of education, which I'm kind of glad is like, on the way out that we're, we're getting more, uh, uh, you know, the classical theater is not just Shakespeare. There's like classical theater from all over the world that, 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 that we need to, we need to explore because, you know, Shakespeare, it's kind of cool, but also like all this other stuff with Shakespeare had like 500 mm-hmm. years or whatever. Like let's, mm-hmm. let's get some other stuff on the stages. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of the things I want to talk about is uh, your your theater origin stories. Now, uh, uh, Alicia, you you mentioned that you grew up in Florida and and came to Canada. Now, you said here you came for the affordable t- tuition, but then you got the health care and figured, why fight it? Um, but I mean, let's start with your theater origin story. Like, what got you into the theater, and what what really brought you to Canada? Oh, okay. <laughs> Those are separate questions. Ooh. So the first question, my theater origin story, 
My very first exposure to theater, we would do school field trips as early as third grade, I want to say. And I want to say we saw shows like like Cinderella, Peter Pan type stuff. And although I didn't see anybody Black in these productions, I remember thinking it, it was intriguing. There was something about it that I was really drawn to. And the moment that I, I really... I first did it, I was in the fourth grade and I was in the school play and it was a ton of fun. And I just did it off and on uh, for a few years, just school plays. And I didn't know until I was 14, which I know is still quite young, but I was watching a production, uh, a high school production that I wasn't in because I was on the basketball team and like the schedules conflicted. And anyway, so I remember watching this production of Guys and Dolls and my friend Genevieve was in it. She was wearing this polka dotted halter dress and she was looking glorious. And she did a twirl and the 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 skirt would fan out in this glorious mushroom type cloud of sorts. And I remembered in that moment thinking, oh, I'm sitting in the wrong spot. <laughs> that's all I knew all I knew yeah. was that wow. I wasn't supposed to be sitting down here I was supposed to be standing up there I just knew I was in the wrong spot mm-hmm. and my whole career has been me finding the right spot mm-hmm. and just staying there so that was the uh, the moment that I knew what I was going to do with my life now, did I know that I was going to be the one writing it? No. Nope. <laughs> I just thought I was going to be the one doing it. I know I was going to make it, but here we are. Um, I want to. When did you figure out that the writing was a thing that you wanted to do and were good at? I so I first wrote, I first wrote poetry and I want to say like short story or something um, in high school, and. The very, very, very first play that I'd ever written, I had entered into a contest and I got like runner up for it. It was an old theater known as Florida Stage in Manalapan, Florida, which is unfortunately now no longer operating. But they had this program for youth to engage with theater. And so you could submit to this this playwriting competition. I had no idea what I was doing. And I got like runner up and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um. That was pretty cool because you got a little prize money and you got um, published in an anthology. It was so cool. And um, then when I went to school, my undergrad I got from Florida State University, I majored in a bachelor of theater and I didn't have time to do any writing because it was very intense with, there were performance classes. I did dramaturgy classes. I did anything. You had to learn how to do certain technical aspects as well. So I was in like costuming, uh, stage makeup, like I did so many things. And um, I was trying at one point to do a dual major of literature. So I'd taken um, nonfiction, essay, short story, um, post-colonial literature, poetic device, fiction. I had done all of these literary classes, but I never really bridged the two worlds. It was like in theater, I performed and in uh, the English department, I just... I wrote novel type stuff. So I never really married the two. And then the next time I would write a play play was the final year of my graduate degree at York University, where we have to do a 15 minute solo show and you have to write it, perform it and direct it. Loved it. I just loved it. I was enamored with the idea that I could say words that were mine. Because I was just dying. Like, there was so much. I was just bursting at the seams to mm-hmm. say. And the the tremendous empowerment of that exercise, it it transcends. There's something about it that feels um, uh, so courageous and, and so inspiring that it made me feel much more powerful that I don't just perform somebody else's story, but I get to make my own. And um, so from there, it's been a wild hodgepodge of sometimes I'm booking a lot of acting gigs and I don't have a ton of time to write. So I have drafts of things just sort of live on my laptop. And sometimes I can't book to save my life. 
So then I get my drafts done. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so that's how things came to be. I find the, the uh, as somebody who writes and performs, I find that whole aspect like addictive. Like, oh, I'm going to do both. Like, I can do both. I'm going to write it and I'm going to and I'm going to perform it. And there's something that is so, I don't know, it's powerful to to do mm-hmm. that. And it's it's really it's really addictive. Like you do it the first time and then you're like, I want I want more of this. Give me more. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then to your earlier point, we we only studied a very uh, white Western European male canon. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there wasn't a ton of study of the African diaspora. So I was really thirsty for more representation of my culture. So I just decided to build that into my project. I was just like, well, yeah, I, I don't want to talk about Ibsen or Chekhov. God help me if I have to discuss <laughs> or watch Chekhov. <laughs> Jesus, take the you know, as we say in the South, y'all going to have to fix me if you make me sick. Good night. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was thirsty for um, my culture and, and to to represent that. Now, um, you did come to Canada for the for school. Yes. Um, what school drew you here? Uh, OK, so this is the other story that I'm like, it's too it's a two parter. Um, OK, we now travel back in time. To the year 2013 of our Lord, I had graduated from my undergrad and I was traveling the world. I was paying off my undergraduate student loan debt as an English teacher in South Korea. Um, and I was having a whale of a time, but feeling very unfulfilled and, um, there's only so many trips to Thailand. Although it is pretty great. But there's only so many trips to Thailand. That's the one continued before. It's like, I want to start my actual life now. This is cool and all. Anyway. So um, me and my my then partner at the time sat down and we're like, okay, so what do we do next? And he said that he still wanted to continue traveling, but perhaps um go to an English-speaking country because I wanted to go to graduate school. And so I looked at schools in Australia. I looked at schools in the UK and I looked at schools in Canada because I thought, why not? Um, so I applied all over the place and I was fortunate enough to get into a few. I even, you know, just just for safety and for the sake of argument, I applied for schools in the States as well. Um, I wasn't too keen on, you know, paying the cost of a, a mortgage to go to school. <laughs> That's not really my jam, and that's what tends to happen where I'm from. But all the same, I did all the interview processes, and I... So when it came time to go to Canada, I narrowed it down to York University, and uh, I think UVic also at the time had a voice teaching component. So I had the really clever idea, and for anyone who's watching this who is, you know, an emerging artist, here's the little nugget I want to give you. Uh deliberately pick a Joe job that is going to be tangential to the one that you want. Mm-hmm. So that way you're surrounded by people in the industry. And that way it can be sort of a segue to the job that you actually want. So I knew that I wanted my Joe job to be a voice and dialect teacher. And I wanted to be a professor. And I also wanted to be a coach. And voice class was always one of my favorite classes. And I love it. And I really tend to, um, uh, I tend to really sink, sink into it. I love the sound of the human voice. I'm a really big linguistic nerd. I like to look at, um, phonetic transcriptions and watch the little diacritic marks. Like I'm very, very. <laughs> so I said to myself, that's the Joe job that I want to have. And to this day, my professor, Eric Armstrong, shout outs. He's like, is it a Joe? It's kind of, it's more like a Joseph job. <laughs> a it's a Joseph job. <laughs> so I knew that I wanted to not only train more as an actor, but train as a voice and dialect coach. And there were two programs in Canada that offered that. But I think UVic was, I think, on hiatus, that particular. 
I might be misremembering. Anyway, so for whatever reason, it got narrowed down just to York. And the only time that they had available was like immediately after my contract with Sun in South Korea and after I'd done some traveling. So I flew from from Tokyo. I was in Japan for a bit. I flew from Tokyo to back to Busan, where I was based, from Busan to Seoul, from Seoul direct to Shanghai, and then from Shanghai to Pearson Airport. And then two days later, I had to audition. So um, I don't know if you've experienced this, but after you cross the international date line, you're a, bit, you're a bit like, you know, a bowl of ramen. You're just kind of squiggling all over. <laughs> so I did that audition thinking, oh, man, I'm not going to get this. Like, I'm oh, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm jet lagged. Those are I the just ones. Don't, Those are the ones. I don't think that this is going to. But I wasn't as nervous because I was like, I'm too tired. <laughs> and I didn't think I was going to get it. But I'll tell you one thing, sitting across the table from David Smuggler and Eric Armstrong, I felt this tremendous amount of calm. It seemed like the two of them were just surrounded by this warm bubble. Mm. And I think it's, I think it's because they do so much breath work in the program. Mm. There's so much talk yeah. of mindfulness and meditation and, um, a lot of the movement practices. Um, like Alexander, based on like optimizing and, and being as healthy as possible. So they really embodied those practices. And I thought to myself, I've been on these tours of other universities and I've met their staff and they're crazy, chaotic all over the place. And, and these two people are just calm and they felt very safe. They just felt like they wanted to cultivate the best group of people possible. And so I didn't know much about them, but I knew in that moment that they were going to provide me the kind of sincere and generous attention that I wanted. So I left thinking, if nothing else, I just really enjoyed this trip. And then three weeks later, they gave me a slot. Wow. Where were you for those three weeks? Were you still in Toronto or did you No, I go? went I went back to Florida and I just took some walks with my mom. We're just chilling around the block, eating froyo or whatever. Nice. Just vibes. Yes. <laughs> just lying waiting for the call. <laughs> whatever happens, happens. No, I love just that. eating There's something about there's something about this story though of having like that just that journey. If that person walks into the rehearsal hall and you hear that they've done that many flights to get to the audition, quite frankly, I'm like, that's a lot of effort. I mean, yeah, come on. Welcome. You're hired. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so funny. People say I go through a lot of trouble and I take that as a tremendous compliment. I do work quite hard. But when people think of it as like impressive or a feat, I'm like, that's what was required. Yeah. They were not moving the audition date for their MFA program for me. They said, these are the dates. Yeah. We yeah. will give you a time slot. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I guess I'm getting on a plane. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Amaka, your, what is your theater origin story? What made you want to start doing this? Now, you're, you've mentioned more of a movement-based person, but so what? Yeah. What brought you to theater in the first place and how did you find your way to a movement uh, practice? Well, um, my movement practice, I would consider like a lot more of a personal thing. It's it's kind of the, the way in to plays for me. Um, but yeah, I guess I've been I've been shaking my shaking my thanks since I was a wee one. And <laughs> But um, yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure. It's a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a mistake or an accident, but it's, it's like an, it was an unexpected turn of events for me. So um, little baby Max was singing and dancing all the time in the little house. And my mom said, somebody do something with all of this energy. Um, But we... (laughs) At school, no, she was very encouraged. I, actually, I was very inspired by her because she was she was also a singer, 
she'd be singing around the house all the time and playing beautiful music. And I just idolized her and wanted to be like her. So um, she she was very um, supportive, actually, from the jump. But she was like, I don't, it seems like you have something inside of you that wants to come out. And so I need to put you in the place where that can be nurtured. And um, it turned out to be, uh, this is all happening in Lagos, Nigeria, by the way. So um, her her priority was making sure that I had a, a solid education, which um, is not well offered by the public school system there. So she enrolled me in a, in a private school, which had uh, a lot of wonderful extracurriculars, performing arts being one of them. And I um, started there doing school plays and musicals. Then, you know, with with the notion that this would be a hobby and I was going to become a computer scientist like my mom, who was my god and my idol. Um, so around, around the time, you know, we moved over to Canada and um, uh, the, the bent had kind of changed, moved on from computer science to medicine, which was very much encouraged by an uncle of mine who was a neurosurgeon. Um, so yeah, did, did school plays and musicals and, uh, then started getting like traditional, sorry, uh, I guess Western dance styles of ballet and jazz when I was about 16. Um, just, it was, it was an option, um, during school and high school. Um, and then I, I went to, I went to uh, the University of Calgary to to start my pre-med journey and um, a bunch of uh, circumstances beyond my control <laughs> um, found me in the audition room <laughs> for the Randolph College uh, for performing arts. I was, I was encouraged by uh, someone who had just graduated from there. He was like, they're coming to Calgary, they're doing auditions, you should go. Um, so I went and they accepted me and I thought, well, I, I can, I guess I can do this. Like, I guess I can go, um, and try my hand at this. I, I always wanted like a well, a more well-rounded, um, instruction in the performing arts. And, you know, I brought it up to my mom and she was like, yes, that makes sense. Um, you should, (laughs) you can you can go ahead and do that. And then, of course, like promptly con- continued to sacrifice, pull a hell and er- heaven and earth together to make sure that I would be okay um, uh, moving across the country to join the circus. Um, and then after that, I, I, I stayed. I thought, well, I've got this training completed and uh I've been introduced to some of the professionals here in Toronto. I, I can stick around and see what happens if I audition for things. Um, try my hand, try my luck. And the rest is silence. <laughs> <laughs> the rest is history. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised all the time. Like I, I would, for a couple of, a couple of years, I would be like, am I living someone else's dream? But no, I don't think so. I think that, you know, we we all we love a good plot twist, and I think that's just that's just the that, that seems to be like the way that it was that it was ordained or that it was meant to be or that it was written. The world is wide, and I I have uh, a range of interests, but I think yeah, ever since I was a little. A little tyke. I've just wanted to entertain people, and um, yeah, and tell stories, and dress up, and you know, pretend, make believe, that sort of thing. And I am also very interested in human life, and in wellness, and in health. But I think like the doctors need something to do on their night off, and. As opposed to, you know, watching other surgeons do surgery, you know, every once in a while they might meet the medicine of an escape into 
a, a farm in Florida um, with their little ones uh, to learn something that you can't can't learn in a book. You can't get a hundred percent on a test for. Um, yeah, uh, that's <laughs> it. Wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> It happened on the way to the <laughs> happened on the way to the bar. <laughs> a funny thing happened on the way to medical school. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> have you did did you as you were like heading over into like going into the to Randolph things like that? Did you ever look back at yourself and say I was supposed to be a doctor, or did you just like it go and like yeah. never look back? Very much so during the pandemic. You know, personally, I felt I felt like oops, <laughs> I took the wrong turn at the fork because as much as we were sustained and comforted by the art that was available, like the theater industry was kaput and, uh, and the, the need for medical attention was astronomical. And so I was, you know, sitting there, you know, um, teaching teaching kids Shakespeare online, wondering like, would would this crisis be better served by like, you know, Mackie in a lab, you know, stirring up the mainstream dish? I'm stand. Um so yeah, I do. I do think about it all the time. Uh I I don't, I think we, we all have a past. We all have regrets and, uh, I, I do wonder, it's hard not to think about like the parallel universe version of, of somebody of all of us that, that did a different thing. But, um, like, like I said, art is medicine too. And, um, And I, I can't, I can't complain. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I mean, I can't. But now as a, uh, sort of like jumping into this, this new, uh, uh, role as a, as a, an assistant director, um, now as you're sort of settling into that and, you know, I don't think anybody jumps from, jumps right into being a director. It's good to learn from really talented and smart directors like tanisha um and other people that you might work with in the future um but after that do you think it's possible that you could you might direct or are you happy as oh. an assistant oh um i'm very i i have a few uh um events on the horizon and i think what has worked for me so far is uh is an openness to to whatever comes um a willingness to be uncomfortable and and i think that i will continue to uh move forward in that way i can't i can't tell like more than ever now, I'm just aware of the fact that like, it, it, it's just, it's just gonna, it's just gonna come at you. Like, yes, I have hopes and wishes and dreams, but sometimes the best, like the, the most fulfilling events are, are absolute chance. Like just leave it up to circumstance. And it's been this way, I think, since I graduated from theater school where the community is, is the network. Like the network, sorry, is the, is the, the agent for like all of this miraculous change um that has happened so uh yeah i do i i hope to do anything and everything that this world will allow me um so yeah bring it on absolutely yes yes um just as I as I as I bring the conversation to a close, you've been in rehearsal for Sweeter for a little while now. Um, week and a half. Week and a half. Um, and as the show has come together, for each of you, what's something that has surprised you about this show? 
so far? I am, I am surprised and touched by how affectionate and tender it is. Mm-hmm. Even though, yes, that is what I wrote. But it was so funny because one day, I think it was just the last rehearsal I had, that Tanisha removed one of the hugs from it. She was like, stick it to me. I didn't realize. Um, and, you know, touch is my love language. It's my primary love language. No, mm-hmm. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that it's like one character brushes past the other one and puts an armor on them to warm them up. Another another character kisses. Like there are so many elements of affection and warmth and tenderness. And I wrote specifically with their hands, with their bodies, this smile, this grin. They dance, they laugh. There's so much of it that feels romantic even. Mm-hmm. And not in a way of like sexuality, but just in a way of um, passion and whimsy and in um a sense of being enamored with someone and i i had no idea that that's what came across but it is deeply who i am as a person i'm very romantic and i was i just i remembered watching rehearsals going oh oh <laughs> i didn't i didn't realize that there's so much of it in this piece and it's so soft and, and tender and in moments. And yeah, I, I, it's, it's so emotional. It's so vulnerable. And I didn't know. I was just writing how I felt at that time. And now that I'm watching it, I'm like, this is my heart on my sleeve. Mm-hmm. And it's thrilling and a little terrifying. Because <laughs> anybody who watches it, you're going to know who I am fundamentally as a human. When you see this piece, mm, you're going to mm. be like, oh, that's who Alicia Richardson is. Y- you will know. Mm. And um, yeah. And then I invite you to give me a hug. <laughs> <laughs> Please give me more hugs. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Now, Amaka, is there something that surprised you uh, uh, so far in the rehearsal process? Oh, it's hard to think of. There's like a new one every day. Um, gosh, now I'm on the spot. My legs are tingly. Uh, yeah, I, I think I was, I think that, okay, like sitting on, sitting on the side of the table that I am, I think I'm just surprised by how, how easily things can come together. Like, I was sitting, you know, preparing, thinking like, oh, it's going to be so hard to get hit and we're going to have to work to, and don't get me wrong, like hard work is happening and we're going there. Like, you know, there's, there's some, there's some stuff to get, to get out. There's some stuff to get through. Like it is work as much as it is fun, but yeah, I think I'm just, I'm surprised by, oh, and, and it, and it, it war- it warms my heart so much to see both in the fiction and you know in the 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 meta like the real life of making the theater like black folks at ease man at ease and and comp and feeling comfortable and joyful it's so healing um yeah yeah, I'm loving that. I'm living for it, to be honest. I'm living for it. I've I've had a hectic summer um, and uh, learned a lot and grew a lot, but have a lot of like, you know, a lot of a bit of a weight in my chest. And this is just every day. It just feels like it's it's falling away a little bit more, a little bit. It's, it's really powerful, really simple stuff. Amazing. That is absolutely beautiful. Well, Alicia Amaka, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate it. And uh, it sounds like such a beautiful show. It is. 
It is a wonderful show. Come see Sweeter, okay? <laughs> bring your people. If you don't have any littles, any kiddos in your life, just bring yourself at your at your most uh, uh what's the word at your most available bring yourself yeah curious that's right bring yourself in. yes mm-hmm. yes bring yourself in your bestie absolutely uh, and bring you in your mango tree your sweet pea <laughs> in your mango tree Come on down. We'd love to have you. Yeah. All right, and I'd love to this... talk to you about it. Like I'm, I'm... I'm putting it out there. If anybody yeah. comes to see this play, shoot me a message, find me on the gram, talk to me in the in the lobby. I really want to engage with the audience. Please don't be shy. Come see me. Let's talk. I want to hear from you. Don't talk to me. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me... You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Worthy.